Good morning, all you podcast listeners. This is James Noka from the Knife Journal Podcast. This is our post-Ferguson apocalypse. Uh, episode, which we'll be talking about at the end, so we don't piss off a bunch of people. Uh, but first off, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Kyle Versteg. Hey, hey. Average Iowa guy, maker of video extraordinaire. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we're watching your pizza videos. Yeah. We're going to make, tomorrow night we're making the um, uh, the controversial Geno's uh, No Yellow Dye Chicago deep dish pizza. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Cool. We're all excited about that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what have you been up to? You got snow down there? We got snow here. Uh, it's sprinkled. I saw um, on the radar that uh, a big, huge front was going through where you live. Oh, yeah. We're, we're getting dumped on right now. Our power's been blinking on and off all morning, and my kids' power is out, so... Hmm. Just another day in the life. Yeah. So uh, I uh, was out in the shop working the other day and uh, listened to your appearance on the Gear Geeks Live. <laughs> Come on, pretty good. I'm about halfway through it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, yep. You guys talked about a bunch of stuff. Uh, it, it was interesting, your uh, knife history, when they asked yeah. you about knife history. You didn't talk about anyone outside of Michigan. <laughs> That's because there is nobody outside of Michigan. No, I did. Uh, Loveless is outside of Michigan. Bob Loveless was from Pennsylvania, uh-huh. and then he moved to California. But so he's out outside of it. But um, all the Skagel knives were well, literally. Well, Bo Randall is from. Uh, Bo Randall is from uh, Florida, but he has a. They had a place. Their family still has a place in Michigan. Yeah. Up the street from us. Yeah. Bill Skagel is from Michigan. And it isn't it interesting that he's considered the father of um, the forged blade. That's um, crazy because it's been uh <laughs> it's been around like Well no no no. The fa- the father of the he's the father of the modern forged blade. Uh-huh. Um Bill Skagel was called that, the grandfather of, of modern bladesmithing. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you spell his name for our listeners at home? Skagel S C. They asked me that. I'm like the world's worst speller. Thank God for spell check. Um, it's I think it's S C A G E L. Yeah, that's it. Okay, I found it. Bill Skagel is, uh, um, I don't know, he was born in 1873, died in 1963. Uh-huh. And he was, like, he's considered like the, the modern, the, the modern father of the forged blade. Okay. So and, uh, um, looking at some of the Google Images stuff for his stuff, it looks like he's doing um, stick tang clip point knives with... Uh, 
stacked leather and then a just an antler tip on the back. So yeah. where the antler attaches to the head, that's how he did the pommels. Yep. Yeah, but he used lignum vitae. He used a lot of different materials. Uh -huh. um, he's the one that uh, forged blades out of um, uh, ball bearing steel. Uh huh. Um, because he uh, lived next to a, a bearing factory. Uh huh. And he used to get the scraps. But he did a lot of um, he did a lot of ornamental metal, and he actually. The other thing that he did, and a lot of people don't realize it, was he made braces for kids' legs for with polio. He made custom braces for kids. Okay. So he did a lot of work like that, a lot of, a lot of odd stuff. Huh. Um, but he did uh, he did like wrought iron gates, and he did uh, you know wrought iron art, I guess you would call it. Interesting. He was an interesting fellow, but but he's kind of like the modern. The modern bladesmith. He he's like the first modern quote unquote bladesmith, where he was um, doing a lot of things that uh, um, a lot of guys are doing today that uh -huh. are forging blades. <clears throat> well, there's he's, a he, there's a Skagel knife on YouTube for nineteen thousand dollars right now. <laughs> that's and that and to be honest, it's probably cheap. <laughs> really? He yeah. He made them for Abercrombie and Finch. They're very very highly collectible, extremely collectible. And the, the funny part about it is, a lot of them you used to be able to find them at yard sales. Uh huh. Uh, and that literally was the blade that he was the blade maker that actually inspired Bo Randall to start making knives. Okay. The Bo Randall of Randall made knives. He. And he was in, and I, I told the story on the other show, um, he was in Walloon Lake at one of the boatyards, and his cat, his, uh, their, their summer home was on Walloon Lake. Hmm. And uh, a young Bo Randall was in Walloon Lake, in the little town of Walloon Lake, at, the, at a boatyard, and he noticed one of the guys scraping the bottom of a boat with a hunting knife. And the hunting knife was a Skagel knife. Uh -huh. And Bo Randall looked at that and said, oh, I can make one of those. Went back to Florida and made one in the shop. Uh -huh. And his original knives that he made looked just like Skagel's. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, he's, uh, he is a uh, – and, and you know what? To be honest about it, Michigan was like the one of the early hotbeds of custom knife making. Oops, I just lost Jim here. I mean, with the exception of Bob Loveless. I mean, Webster Marble came from here. Um, Bo Randall was, was inspired here, and Bill Skagel was from here. So, and our video just got kanked for some reason. So we're reconnecting. Not quite sure why that is, but it is. So we are just going to continue on. Talking about stuff. Let me look and see if it's my connection on my end. I'm still connected. Yo, yo. Hey, my internet blinked. We've been having that issue lately. Yeah, I know. I don't know what's I going on. I think it's... Uh, it just does a blink or whatever. But <clears throat> you were saying... Uh, Michigan uh, 
it was the hotbed of uh, <laughs> of custom knife making. But the thing is, is um, there's other parts of the country that have had big, long traditions with um, custom knives. For instance, the original Bowie was made in New Orleans, was it not? I guess Mike would probably be better to answer that. But yeah, I think I think uh, when and when I'm talking about custom knives, I'm talking about um, I'd really be talking about knives that ended up being kind of production knives because Bill Skagel made knives for uh, in for in ma you know for the masses and sold them through Abercrombie and Fitch, uh-huh. um, as did Webster Marble, uh-huh. and then. And then Randall, he sold like he made knives and sold them like worldwide. Mm-hmm. And and the and the knives you're talking about in uh, and Bob Loveless the same way. Bob Loveless sold knives through a through an outlet. He made a lot of them and sold them through an outlet. Most of the most of the original Bowie knives and stuff were made for an indiv- individual. Uh, your setup just blinked again. I'm going to have a sip of coffee while I'm waiting for you to come back online. But that is, uh, that is kind of, I mean, yes, there was other custom knife makers, but they were really not knife makers as much as they were blacksmiths that were making knives and on the side. That wasn't their line of work. Um, Bob Loveless, that was his line of work. Webster Marble, that was his line of work. Hey, Bo Randall was, um, uh, he was a, there? He, his family had a big orchard and he, he made that his line of work. Um, as did, uh, Bob, as did Bill Skagel. He did other things, but not, uh, not as, not as much as, uh, as some of the other guys did. You there? Hey. Hey. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, it's blinking for some reason. It's not out yeah. for long. It's just a second. Yeah, that's fine. I continued yeah. my story. Okay. And, um, yeah, so the, so a lot of the knife makers were really, were really bladesmiths. Your video is not on. Yeah, I know. I can't get it to turn on. Okay. Um, a lot of the knife makers were actually not, um, they were blacksmiths, uh-huh. and they made a knife for an individual, as opposed to guys like Bill Skagel and and uh, um, and that they they um, uh, they made knives for the masses. I mean, they made the hunting knives and fighting knives for for like to be sold through Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh-huh. And some of the other sporting good outlet stores. <clears throat> so um, you also so, mentioned a book by Bob Loveless. What book is that? Oh, you know what? I got. I actually have to go find it. Well, I'll have to. Do, I'll have to look at that and find it at a different time. Yeah, I don't remember the. I don't remember the. Well, time do you remember it. when it was published? When you got it? It was. It was. It was done by F and W Media. Hmm. Uh, how to Make Knives, 1994. No, I think it was even before that one. Huh. Hmm. I think it's Loveless. Uh, 
Loveless Knives. Loveless. Oh, brief history, knife making. No, 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 no. How to Make Knives by Bob Loveless and Richard Barney. Okay. See if they if it's even in print anymore. Knives Loveless. Yeah, how to make knives. Okay, so yeah, it's still in print. Uh, you can get it on uh, uh, Amazon. Um, it's a black book with a naughty looking knife on the cover. <laughs> uh, he's also got a DVD set out. Yep. Yep. He was a he was an interesting fellow, Bob Loveless. He he's uh, you know he was the one that did the the the, uh, the uh, hunter, mm -hmm. the drop point hunter, real you know very very sexy knives. <clears throat> hmm. And his knives, they always look good. Mm -hmm. No matter what, they always he had he had the right he had the right stuff. His his knives, um, his knives probably are some of the sexiest made knives ever. Uh -huh. and, and he and he worked. He did some design work for uh, for Gerber mm -hmm. back in the day. We got a uh, so along those lines, we got a uh, a question about uh, Randall knives. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they just wanted us to mention them, talk about them, I guess. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that means. <clears throat> Randall knives are are interesting. They they have a five five plus year waiting list for people who don't realize that. Uh -huh. um, they are forged. Uh huh. Um, and I don't know if they have forging dies. Their shop is kind of like like a secret like you can't go like i couldn't like i visited their shop a couple three or four times and never made it past the showroom mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah they probably don't want you to see the ex <clears throat> right how much is actually forged which right i'm exactly. guessing is very 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 little of that of those knives is actually forged right well, I, th I i almost want to say that they have a, um, a forging die but i but i'm not sure hmm. like i said i i don't know um, one of the things I had mentioned in that, in that, uh, in that episode was how, if you look at the modern Randalls, uh, they don't seem to have the life that the, that the old ones did. Yeah. If you looking online, the, the old ones, um, and I think it, it comes down to, it could be exactly the same shape with exactly the same materials, um, but there were imperfections in the old ones that you can see. Right. So if you do a Google search for like 1940s Randall knives, uh, the stuff from from the 40s, 50s, and 60s d did not have near the fit and finish that. Uh, no. But they had they had soul. Yeah. Well, and I think that the soul, for lack of a better term, is coming from the fact that they were still all handmade and. Uh, you know, with as good a fit and finish as you can, you know, reasonably expect from 
from that sort of a technology from back then. So, right. I mean, uh, like, uh, do you have any favorite models? I guess would be another thing to ask. You know, to be honest, I like there. There isn't very many of them that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like a uh, uh, I like the model eighteen. This is the hollow handle one, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like the 14. I like the number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, I like, there's uh, most all of them I like. Mm-hmm. I like, um, I dove with a Randall Model 16 for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're just, I don't know, there's just something about the older, older Randall knives that I've always liked. Yeah. Um, I think they're, you know, it, I think it almost has to come down to the um, the fit and finish is is so much better now, and the the shapes are so much more consistent um, on a modern Randall um, versus the ones from back in like the forties, fifties, and sixties. I think is yeah. what people are. I think they were, um, you know, and, and that when I say <clears throat> when I talk about soul. And, I, and it may be the one of the reasons why we like to have custom knives that are that are forged is because you always feel like that knife is an individual. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, um, you know, some of the more modern stuff that's exactly like the next piece that comes off the line. Right. Um, which is, you know, I mean, it's why some of us name rifles. Yeah, you know, or we'll we'll customize our rifle somehow, uh, whether it's with a, um, um, you know, you think about the, the the cowboys of the West and the even I mean when you even think about the, um, the rifles and and muzzle loaders and camel guns from the Middle East, um, they were very ornate and the and they used to decorate them themselves, uh-huh. you know, and they and. Think about uh, some of the rifles that you've, if you ever go to the, um, was it the Buffalo Bill Museum in Cody, Wyoming? Uh-huh. Or, or Wild, is that is that which one's there or is it the Wild Bill, I don't remember which one is there. Wild Bill Hickok, I don't know. Maybe it was Buffalo Bill Cody, I think, huh. um, in Wyoming. They, uh, you've, you'll see rifles that were owned by the natives, the Winchesters and that, and they had like tacks brass tacks that they would put into the stock and they would make or they would make them ornate. Yeah. You know, and they would do stuff like that all the time. Um, if you do a, if you do a, uh, uh, I don't even know if you do a Google search for, um, ornate, ornate rifles from the West or decorated rifles from the rest, DC or Wild West. Hmm. Um, I would guess that you're probably going to see some of the, what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, they guys. I think when when we are I got friends of mine calling here. Um, when you have. Um, uh, when you have a connection with your gear, I think it 
for some reason, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, it's hard to explain, but, but, for example, I, I mentioned my, I mentioned my watch the other day, and, um, the watch that I'm actually wearing right now with the shark bite, or the shark, uh, male band, was a watch that I wore for a, quite a while in a lot of different places. So I have an attachment to that watch because it was part of my kit that I carried with me for a long time. And now I only wear it, I wear it all the time when I'm not, like if I'm around the house and stuff like that. But if I'm actually going, when I go on duty and stuff, I don't, I don't wear it anymore because I, <sighs> darn it. And, um, sorry about that. Can we turn the ringer off or answer it or? Yeah. yeah. No, I, it was. But I think that that's, but that's a lot of what, uh, um, that's a lot of what I'm talking about. You get kind of an attachment to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you have a knife that's made for you, you have an, you have this attachment to it. When you have a knife that you've, that you've carried since you were like nine years old hunting every year, you take that hunting knife out of the case and that's the one you take with you and you equate that with being good luck. You know, I mean, we're, you know, for being as advanced as we are, we're still pretty superstitious. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we, even though we think that it's all hokey, you know, we still don't walk under a ladder. It's leaning up against a building. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, it's, it's, because it's bad luck, <laughs> you know. I mean, I see that stuff all the time, uh -huh. you know. And I think it's just, I think it's that same that same feeling that you get when when you have your pocket knife or your your favorite hunting rifle or your you know. Yeah, and I think uh, Randall gives a lot of people that that kind of feeling. Yeah, that tie um, to the past. Well, and it's, it, it, the other thing is, is that you have to wait so damn long for them <laughs> that right. by the time you get it, you're like really attached to it. And see, I kind of have the opposite history with Randall. I have a Model 15 Airman. I waited so long to get the damn thing that by the time I got it, my tastes had changed in knives. Yep. And, uh, you know, so now I have a knife that I don't really like all that much. <laughs> Yeah, no, I like the Airman. I think the Airman's a nice, a nice. I carried a, a um, would be a, the equivalent, a blackjack equivalent of that knife in uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, well, I, I just don't like the the grip forcing your. Yeah. I, I that's that's my only issue with it. Yeah, is I um, think my my Airman's got a Border Patrol handle on it. Uh huh. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers.
Uh, speaking of customs, um, I'm sending you a picture on Facebook. Um, there's this guy uh, that wants me to make him a custom knife, um, but he wants it to look like older. So he wants like bone and he wanted stag, but I, I just can't find stag scales that are any good, number one, and number two, um, that have any possibility of making a good handle. Um, and so he he wants um, something that he could wear for Civil War reenactments, but he also wants it to be like useful for camp stuff, and he specifically mentioned like batoning and stuff, but like the thing is, is like if you look at those old Civil War knives, um, they were big fighting knives, you know, yep. they, they were not, they're going to be useful for like cutting each other up and stabbing each other, but as far as like doing something other than that with them, they're not like particularly, you know, useful, I well, think. What's what's interesting about that is you never see how thin those knives are. Yeah, Most very. Of those knives are very thin. Yeah, hang, so you can swing. Hang on one second. Uh -huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna go grab a knife. That's bizarre. I'm looking for the short version of this. Are your earphones your, phone, your, your earphone still plugged in? Yeah. Okay, you're recording and stuff. Yep. Okay. Uh, do you do you have video? Can you see? I can see it. I I just can't get my video to work today for some reason. Yeah. I have a sh I have a short version of this. Okay. That's a that that's a marbles. Uh, trail master, trail maker. Uh huh. I don't remember what they call this one. But, um, yeah, similar, that's pretty similar in design to what you're, I mean, take out the top clip. Yeah. Well, I, so, so what I came up with for the guy, um, is, you know, you, you want something usable, uh, but you want it to kind of look more classic. So what I came mm -hmm. up with was like a, a Bowie knife shape, um, and then for a handle, if he's going to be doing batoning or anything even remotely similar to that, then I just am going to pretty much insist on putting a full tang on there. Just, I don't, I mean, you might be able to get away with it with a stick tang, but I don't know this guy's level of skill at using knives and stuff like this. And so I, I designed him something with a ergonomic handle with a brass guard and a brass pommel although it's full tang so I'm going to have to pin through both of those guards to hold them in place and what I'll do is I'll do um, 
uh, white bone handles, but antique them a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and Mike taught me, Mike Stewart from Bark River Knives taught me a little trick to do that. I'm not going to say how they do it, though. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, it's a design challenge because you want something that's unique looking. You want to be able to use it for a reenactment, but you also want it to be usable. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so, that's that's attractive. Yeah, I I thought that was a, I'd buy that knife, um, for sure. And he wanted, because it all started out, he wanted an expedition knife. But then he's like, well, um, do you have any that are, that don't have jimping and where the handle comes down a bit more? And he wanted all these changes to it. And I'm like, why don't I just design you a custom knife that does everything you want it to do? Mm -hmm. And so that's. He hasn't okayed it yet. I don't know if he's seen it, um, but that would be my take uh, on a on a knife that would meet those kind of requirements. And we'll see if he okay's it or not. If he does, then I'll make it and I'll post some photos or whatever. Well, do, you know what? If he doesn't, if he doesn't want you to make that, make that for me. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I like I like that knife. That's attractive. Yeah, it's got a. Um, six and a half inch blade four and a half inch handle uh it's going to be about um uh inch and three quarters tall at the tallest point um mm -hmm. i'm just describing to people and then it has a, a handle that is kind of my you know my version of the handle um yeah maybe i'll make you one you might like this. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, and actually, it actually reminds me of of a uh, ten inch, uh, a little bit different, but it's about that size, uh, like a a, um, a marbles ideal. I have a marbles ideal uh -huh. or a marbles trail maker. That's a short blade one uh -huh. that has uh, um, it's stacked leather and it's blued steel. Uh huh. And it's pretty sexy. It was like the first one that they'd done. Uh, I, I, the old marbles company used to have a have bluing tanks. Uh huh. <clears throat> and when they made this for me, I asked them to blue it. Uh huh. Put rifle bluing on it. Uh huh. And it came out really, really cool. And it was like one of the first ones that they'd done in a long time. Uh, I'm thinking it's probably fairly valuable. Hmm. Yeah, I, I so I've played around with the rifle bluing on blades. It's a pain mm -hmm. in the ass. <laughs> oh yeah, and the, oh, yeah. And the first well, time well, you is, use it, it rubs off. This is this was hot blued. Oh really? Yeah, it was just hot, because they used to have bluing tanks uh, because marbles used to do well. They do sights. Uh huh. They do gun sights, and they used to back when they were making knives. They had they would take shotgun barrels in and put ribs on them, and they did gunsmithing stuff too. Uh -huh. And they would reblue barrels and stuff. There. Hmm. So they had all the stuff to, to all the acid tanks and all the dip tanks and stuff to do hot bluing. Uh -huh. And so their hot bluing on blades came out really nice. Hmm. And it stayed for a long time. I mean, it's still. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty knife. Now the the other thing I was uh, thinking about for for this particular knife um, is. Uh, I was thinking about Hamon lines, um, mm -hmm. but the problem being that I want my knives to be used, and mm -hmm. I worry that 
the etching would just wear off if if somebody's like pounding it through a log and stuff right you know what i mean yeah so i don't know if if it's if it's a good idea to put those on there or not um well you would still be differentially heat treating it yeah and so I guess, does, I so guess, the uh, marking is kind of irrelevant. If you wanted to put it back on, you could etch it again, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's the, the, the point is, is that it would still be differentially heat treated. Yep. Okay. And then, and then the other thing I was thinking, um, was, uh, was making it out of, uh, 1075. Um, but the only 1075 I can get that is tall enough is quarter inch thick <laughs> mm -hmm. so I would add the additional challenge of having a knife that's actually usable and performs well that has a quarter inch thick spine yeah so what I thought I thought what I would do would be to flat grind the shit out of that blade and have it have it flat ground very very high and then convex convex the edge because mm -hmm. um, otherwise if you if you do like some of these some of these companies do where they've got these quarter inch thick knives. I don't want to name names, but they have a patent for a certain feature on that knife. Maybe people can mm -hmm. figure that out. Um, if you make it uh, a quarter inch thick and you don't get the edge geometry right, the thing is just, you're not going to be able to cut shit with it, you know? And, right. And the whole point would be... Um, it has to be a knife first. It has to be a knife first uh, and then you know look look good and and feel beefy in the hand second i would say but so um if i was going to do these i think i would do them out of um quarter inch by two inch tall uh uh 10.75 so that i could get a an actual homone line on there well you know you could the other thing you could do is you could do um ball bearing steel yeah then then the problem becomes the heat treat yeah, you know, um, because I are you meaning uh, fifty two one hundred? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would have to send that off um, to get something I'd be uh, super comfortable with, um, and then having somebody else do differential. I mean, they'd just get into so many different variables that I don't know. I don't know that I'd necessarily want that. Um, the other thing I could do is just make it out of, uh, O1, mm -hmm. um, because I can get O1 in just about any thickness and then just differentially heat treat it, but just say, well, it's not going to have the Hamon line, you know? So, I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things to think about, mm -hmm. but, uh, I'm leaning towards doing these, doing, uh, Doing it out of ten seventy five, so I can get that hamon. Right. That's a that's a real nice feature. The other thing I'm going to do, something I just noticed, uh, looking at that picture, is you see how the the brass guard in the back is straight up and down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to angle that. I'm going to angle mm. it so that it's it's angled uh, like this. So if this is the blade of the knife, the I don't see your video. Oh shit. <laughs> Well, at any rate, I'm going to angle it because so, I don't like that straight line there. I don't like that mm -hmm. straight up and down line. I want it to be angled um, not forward but backward. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and, and getting that, getting all those scales and getting everything to line up perfectly is going to be a pain in the ass. Well, the, the other thing, that, the other challenge that you're going to have is you're talking about making this a full tang knife. Mm -hmm. How are you going to do a brass guard on a full tang knife? Uh, I tell you what I'm going to do. Probably um, what I'll do is I'll just have the guard, I'll have two pieces of brass, one for each side. Okay. And then, and then just pin, pin, them, pin them together. Pin through uh -huh. the through the uh, tang, uh, and then have the pins be also be out of brass so that uh, um, if you see it, it's very very faint. If you mm -hmm. see the pin, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, now I and then the other thing is is finding a a piece of bone that's uh, that's big enough, and then with a big old honking piece of brass on the back of the handle. The other thing I would worry about would be weight distribution. So right. I think I would drill the hell out of that tang. Well, remember one thing, too, is that you're talking about a quarter-inch blade. Yeah. But um, you'd be surprised. On, the, on a lot of these knives I've done recently where I've done that high, flat grind, mm -hmm. uh, it really, really, really lightens up the blade if you do that. So that that would be the, the thing that I'd... Uh, I'd still worry about that tang, especially with the brass on the back, being that the knife would be out of balance. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to solve that problem without weakening the uh, weakening the knife. But anyway, so that's uh, it's all fun. Maybe put a mosaic pin for the center pin or something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. So we have a we have a. Uh discussion question about winter glib yeah is that something that you're uh i'd, I'd be that, down it's your game for i'd be down okay all right um just depends on uh when uh you know time i'm thinking frame. i'm thinking maybe beginning february oh shit beginning of february be <laughs> well it's winter glib <laughs> Oof. Well, you know what would be fun is to to do it in conjunction with the the icing the or whatever, yeah. Yep, yep. yep so that yep. we can we can do a, a couple days uh, in the woods, so it'd be during the week or whatever. Um, like start on a Wednesday, do a couple days outdoors in the woods, and then do the grinding. Yep. Because because yep. we might we might actually get quite a few more people um, to come if they. Uh, you know, if it they was do. in conjunction, if they could go to the grind in after. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, so we should think about that. Think about sites oh. kind of close by there. You yep. got that message from our friend, right? Yep, yep, I did. Yeah. Yep, I did. That would be uh, worth uh, pursuing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, because it's only I 40 definitely. minutes away from the grind in, he said. Yep. I definitely think that would be cool. And there's a lot of cool things to do up there at that time. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, we could we could go ice fishing if we wanted to. But there's just a lot of neat stuff to do. A lot of state land up there. We can go by snowmobile. We can go. We can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So the only problem for me logistically is uh, snowmobile. Um. I'd have a hard time getting one up there. 
Oh, there's we can rent stuff. Yeah, well, you, you can rent stuff all over the place up here. We'd have to do that. Okay, um, and uh, if we have time, maybe I'll uh, I'll uh, talk about uh, uh, what was I going to say about layering. Yeah. Um, versus the huge monster coat. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the puffy coat. The puffy coat. Yeah. Uh, you know the big, huge, like old school coat with one coat does it all. <laughs> um, let's see now. What was another topic here? They were asking. Uh, oh, about one of my friends, Gusty, wants to know about gravy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh gravies uh so if you want a gravy to put over <laughs> your your mashed potatoes um and say you're gonna have uh roast beef and mashed potatoes what i do for that is if there are if you have meat drippings great most of the time when i do roast beast it is just a um it's just it's actually roasted so it's not cooked in liquid or anything that's a braised beast so if I if I have true roast what I it's real easy to make gravy you just have you buy a can of beef broth you know 14 ounce can and you have uh uh like depends on on how thick you want it but I usually start with about 2 tablespoons of butter 2 tablespoons of flour stir that up and for uh gravy for beef what I'll do is uh make a roux so darken the flour takes a while then add in your broth and salt it to taste and you're good to go <laughs> sawmill gravy for now, your you, biscuits and gravy is <clears throat> similar do you do do you do uh maybe you just said that and i missed it What's i was that? reading something do you do you make a roux first yeah for 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 darker gravies i always uh i like to i like to make it as a dark roux Mm -hmm. You know, so you cook it until the flour darkens. Um, mm -hmm. For pretty much any time I make gravy, I start with uh, melting butter and then adding flour and stirring it up and then adding the liquid to that. So uh, if you're going to do um, like sausage gravy for biscuits and gravy, same same concept, only instead of adding broth, I add whole milk. Do not try to make biscuits and gravy with skim milk. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that. So I think we've talked plenty about gravy. Um, let's see. You never know where our conversations will go. Okay, um, and then, as opposed to the gravy train, yeah, <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Somebody else was asking uh, options for carrying a fixed blade every day. And 
Put it on your belt. Carry it every day. Yeah. And <laughs> just be a man. <laughs> man yeah. up and wear a big ass belt knife. Yep. Freaking ten inch buoy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I guess it really kind of depends on the circumstances that you're in. You know, are you going to be able to get away with it? Like, I would not be able to get away with having a big belt knife on. You know, so for me, it's different. But I mean, if where you live, and for the kind of People stuff do it you all, do, it's fine. People do it all the time, actually, up here. Yeah, but if you it's went pretty, to your doctor and he had one on, you know, well, well you know, it's funny. I go to my doctor, uh-huh. and and they they've gotten to the point when when I do my physical, you know, they're like, okay, I'm going to step on the scale here. Oh, wait a minute, I got to empty my pockets out, and I'm going to take out my gun. So I'll so I have like a little. I usually take like a little. Um, like my little iPad bag or something, you know, and I'll set it down and I'll take all my shit out of my pockets and I'll shove it in that bag and I'll take my gun off and I'll put it in the bag. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, but they've just, they've, they've known me for so long. They just know that that's my routine. It's like, yeah, I lose about eight pounds that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, Corey Murphy asked, uh, for a discussion on skinny knives or skinning knives. And, uh, Mike Stewart, uh, said, uh, Maybe defining a skinning knife would be helpful. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to define. Yeah, how do you define I saw that? that too, and I was I was kind of chuckling about that yeah. because it's a, you know, a lot of people have different ideas about what a skinning knife should look like or what it should be. Um, if you look at a Green River Skinner knife, yeah, I mean it, that was a basically it's was made to when they're butchering animals, mm-hmm. and they use that knife to skin, you know, to skin pigs or skin. Uh, uh, skin critters of all shapes and sizes, and it has that huge upswept lack of a point blade. You know, there's not there's not a real, it's not a pointy knife at all. Hmm. And uh, you know, you look at a lot of the knives that are quote unquote skinning knives. They either have a uh, a big belly and a real high point, so that you can keep the point out of Whatever, out of the hide, I guess. Uh-huh. You know, maybe that's the reason. I mean, that's that was one of the things. I mean, when I was a kid, I learned how to skin uh, deer from uh, from going to um, uh, um, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And and when we brought all our deer back from Wyoming, we would go to a place called Harrison's Island, and one of the hunters that was with us had a store there and a butcher shop. Mm-hmm. And all weekend long, we would skin out and butcher up about 15 mule deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was where I learned how to skin from when we first started doing I started going out there with my folks when I was like 8 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I started hunting there when I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And... When I was, when I first learned how to skin deer, um, basically all these deer were hanging up, and they, of course they had been in their hide for like four or five days, because it was they made the trip all the way home with their hides on, and uh, you know it was a big deal was don't put a hole in the hide. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No matter where you're at, don't put a hole in the hide. That was a big. That was a big deal, you know. So you had to really be careful about cutting the hide because they used them back then. You could have hides tanned and had basically clothes made out of it. I have a, a deerskin vest. Doesn't fit me anymore, but I have a deerskin vest when from when I was in high school mm-hmm. that I used to wear. It's kind of cool looking, uh, but 
the uh, somebody had paused my TV set. My my grandkids and my and my son and daughter in law are here, and uh, they had put the TV on pause. I'm going to have to go shut that off because I can hear it through my headphones. <laughs> um, and they they took off when I started podcasting, but they must have left the TV on on pause. So okay. Because the news is on right now. <laughs> hey, hang on one second. Yeah. I'll be right back. That was a discussion about the Ferguson, Missouri thing. Which we will get into <laughs> at the end of the episode when everybody has plenty of warning. Yep. Um, so the uh, getting back to the skinning knife thing, um, I think what oh. people traditionally think of as a skinning knife is uh, it has a, a big curve belly right um but and and the point is either not really well is not it's not a pointy knife or if it does have a point it's very very high yeah it's like higher than the the rest of the spine of the knife typically right, right um, exactly. so that they can't so that they don't dig the tip of the knife and cut a hole in the hide or whatever right exactly. um my own kind of take on it is is uh you do all of the skinning with your hands, so it's you you put tension on the skin, and then the when you put tension on the skin, that shows you where you need to cut and so the the important thing is not necessarily the uh not necessarily the knife it's the technique more so um, you know there's a i've used a m eighteen to skin a deer mm -hmm. i've used uh, a neck knife to skin a deer. I've used a, a Becker necker. I've used all kinds. I've used a buck 110. I mean, I've used just about everything. Uh, I've used the pole of an axe and then the, it, to, to bang on it, create the tension and then the, the front of the axe to, uh, cut as needed, you know, so mm -hmm. you can get it done. It's just, it's just, uh, um, it's more, more for me, more technique than it is anything else. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do like the idea for the average uh, person who doesn't use a knife as part of their job, um, simplifying it so that they really can't fuck up the hide. You know, um, but the the knife that you're going to use to do a whole body skinning versus like fine caping and stuff, I think you're going to use two different knives for that. Right. Aren't you? I mean, you're not going to yes. use. I. I mean, I. If it were me, I would probably just use a scalpel to do any kind of very fine, um, real fine work. Yeah. A scalpel yeah, caping, pickups. Caping but. traditionally is done with with a scalpel. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. you know, I think I think. Uh, I don't know. That that's Taxi, that's kind of my taxidermist knives. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. What else did I get? Oh, I got a question for a Thanksgiving casserole. <laughs> Make scalloped corn. Is. I don't you don't know what, what scalloped is. corn is? No, no. Uh, a Thanksgiving casserole. Well, it's uh, like your side dish that you traditionally serve. Oh, oh, do you, do you make oh, one like every... Like a green beans, like a green yeah, bean casserole. like the green beans with uh, fried onions Mushroom on top. Soup. Yeah, yeah that, that's a traditional favorite in my house. And then the other traditional favorite is like scalloped corn. So those would be yeah. my two choices. Um, that actually sounds good. Yeah, no kidding. I'm actually getting real excited about it. Uh 
Speaking of the holidays, um, we're entering this season when people start acting fucking crazy. Um, so just a message to all my friends and family, don't act fucking crazy around me <laughs> or I'm just not going to be around you. Um, mm -hmm. Save your crazy shit for somebody else. Um, and that is all. No craziness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, somebody asked about uh, a tactical knife for self-defense. Do you have any get thoughts on that? I, I don't really... Get a gun. Yeah, I, I really don't have anything to add to that. Um, I, you know, I am, I am not... Um, I have I have a little bit of issue with that because a lot of people will get the wrong impression of what uh, what we're talking about when you talk about a knife for self defense. Uh -huh. um, Michigan law is kind of interesting because it's the the knife size is intent. Uh -huh. The knife the knife size is not is not a there's not a determined knife size. Uh -huh. But carrying a knife is your intent. Is mm -hmm. what it's is what the the law is based on is what is your intent for this? So if you have a knife in your pocket and you tell a police officer that it's for self defense, mm -hmm. that means your knife is considered a weapon mm -hmm. and you have a concealed weapon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm real. I don't like to say that a knife is for a weapon as opposed to a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that that would be equally as effective mm -hmm. <laughs> um, whatever whatever knife you have in your pocket could be used as a as some kind of deterrent but the the thought of you know squaring up with somebody and deploying a knife for self i mean i don't even know what the hell I, I would consider it a break contact type device. Yeah, or, or really like, like a chair even. or a broken bottle or a. I wouldn't even say a deterrent. I wouldn't even say I would. I mean, because you're. I mean, you've got to be. I mean, I just can't see walking down an alley with. And then a thug jumps out and says, hey, give me your money, and I'm going to freaking pull out my. Benchmade seven ten and say yeah go ahead and try to take it yeah I wouldn't I, you know I mean I mean that's I mean I would say if somebody did that to me I would I would I would deploy my nineteen eleven and put two or three center mass <laughs> and then it would be done yeah but but the thought that you're going to come out unscathed by saying I'm going to deploy my my knife because it's got a four and a half inch blade is insane now if somebody's somebody grabbed me and was and was had me in a chokehold yeah then then, it, then then it's useful i would deploy my 710 i would shove it in somebody's spine or shove it in somebody's groin spine. yeah in the groin or groin yeah or whatever you know yeah, they, mean, would, they, that's a lethal wound if you get them in the right spot but but the point is you're not trying to be lethal you're trying to break contact get them off of you yeah. That's that's the whole my my use for a knife in that kind of situation is purely a defensive role. It's purely a a a break contact type device. 
No different than a fucking stick. No different than a freaking telephone. No different than a uh, coffee mug. No different than a thermos. No different than anything else that I that was in my grasp, in my reach, to as long as I could break contact with the individual that has a hold of me. I cannot see a knife as any kind of offensive weapon that will get you drilled pretty fast. And 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 the thought that you're going to come out of any kind of offensive type situation with a knife unscathed is ridiculous. Unless you're going up against somebody that doesn't have a knife at all. And then you're robbing them. <laughs> because I always think of it as that's kind of thuggery type stuff. I, I don't know. Your internet blinked again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, and, and then the other thing. You'll, you'll like what I said in the, in the uh, in, when you were offline. Okay. Well, and, and then just my take on it is, is I don't have any experience or training um, using a knife for self-defense, so I, I don't really have any good insight to add, and I'll just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Well, um, like I said, it's it's a... Uh, uh, I, I would it would be a completely a break contact tool. I would never I would never ever ever say that that if somebody deployed a knife on me, I was going to square up with them and and uh, and and use you know use it as a you know kind of like a mono on mono knife fight. I think that's the most ridiculous. I mean, that's a good way to get freaking bleed to death. No matter what happens, you're going to get cut. I don't give a shit. And a, and a cut on your wrist can be fatal. Yeah. Um, if you don't hold pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, How are you going to hold pressure if you're trying to hold somebody else off? Yeah, it takes a, it takes a lot longer to um, to bleed out of your wrist yeah. than it does out of your leg. But it, it is certainly possible. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what else did they, they ask about? I shut that off. Oh, um, another thing from your uh, from your Gear Geeks Live thing that I wanted to ask you about okay. is uh, you uh, carry a Glock 21 while you're on duty now. Right. Now, uh, uh, do, you, do you want to talk about that at all? Like, uh, Who's that? Glock 21. It's a, it's a 45 ACP. Uh-huh. Tritium night sights, um, lots of lots of bullets. <laughs> yeah, how many? How and, many does it hold? What's the magazine uh, capacity? I think it's, I think it's fourteen rounds. Jesus, fourteen rounds of forty-five ACP. God, yeah, because I, I was looking at the sight when you guys were talking about it, and it's a fully loaded. It's a three-pound gun. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a freaking. It's a it's a horse. Yeah, that is a that is a horse. Um, like I said, the, I mean, it's got a, yeah, 45 is a heavy round, mm -hmm. you know, do you have any experience with the Glock 19s? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Lots of experience with the Glock 19. I've carried a Glock 19 for quite a while now. Um, that was always the, that was always the gun that was given to us anytime we deployed. Okay. It was a Glock, Glock. And it was really kind of funny because a lot of the guys that, that I worked with would get 17s, which is the same gun except it's a little bit uh the 19 is a little smaller yeah but it's a it's a nine millimeter mm -hmm. um and i think that the i think it's like the the 17 has maybe has one more round mm -hmm. 
but I think the but the the uh, seventeen mags will fit in on nineteen. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. And uh, but I I always got a big kick out of the fact that it was um, um a uh, you know it's got a shorter sight picture. It's a little lighter gun. It's a little you know and. Everybody was always saying, well, why Why did you get a 19 and we all have 17s? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm special. Maybe I'm a better shot. <laughs> you know, because it's easier to shoot a 17 than it is a 19 because it's got a longer sight picture. Okay. Um, but either one is, you know, is a, uh, is a nice... Uh, um, 17s or 19s are both nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like a 19. It's a little bit smaller, a little more compact, but, mm-hmm. you know, same 7 million bullets. Those uh, count in your book as go-to-war guns, then, I would take it. Yeah. 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 Same with yeah, the Glock uh, 21. Yep. They're bulletproof. Yep. They're they're pretty much, you can drag them through the mud and they still shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they uh, probably, probably know now as being the most reliable handgun. Besides a revolver, mm-hmm. uh, that there is, um, yep. You know, so I don't think uh, um, you can't go wrong buying a Glock. Yeah, you know they're 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 pretty much the you know I think pretty much standard issue now to all police departments. Yep. Yep. <sighs> they gotta they gotta be doing something right. Yep. And then there's all this like Glock family drama stuff too. <laughs> yeah, that's always interesting. Yeah, he can. Uh, people can read up on that. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good times for people. Yep. Yep. Uh, I I like I like both. You know, when I first started carrying a Glock, I wasn't I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I when I realized the the uh, how simple and how reliable they are, mm-hmm. they're pretty hard to to knock. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a 1911 guy. I've carried a 1911 since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. But um, but I've, be, I've become fond of the Glock, and I wasn't early on. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, you have to adapt. You know, when if that's what they're giving you, that's what you got. Uh-huh. You better learn to love it. <laughs> so, um the other thing uh, I was going to ask you about is um, what's what's your thought on the on the hidden hammer? I mean that's that's kind of the only thing that's making me not all that enthusiastic about the Glocks is the is the hidden hidden hammer that you can't you know you know what I mean? Well, you always have that's a double action. Yeah, uh, I I know, but it just. I don't know. There's I maybe it's just me being old fashioned, but I I do like to have a uh a hammer that, you know. Well, of course I say that and then you look at my air weight and it doesn't have a hammer on it. But. Right. Right. There's no there's no real I mean no real reason for it. Okay. I mean, it's a it's a double action, mm-hmm. so it doesn't really doesn't doesn't make much difference to you. No. No. How much no. how uh, they, they have nice. They have decent triggers. Yeah. Yep. How different is the um, on the Glock? How different is it if you if you um, what I'm what am I trying to say here? 
if you use it as double action versus using it um, with the hammer already cocked, I mean, how much difference is the trigger pull? Because I've seen some guns that do that very well and others that negligible. do it poorly. Really? It's negligible, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, I think it's something you get used to. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a, I really don't think it's an issue. I mean, I, I shoot my 19 fairly often. And, you know, we qualify all the time with our 21s. And one of the things that I notice, mm -hmm. um, our department went to this 21. They took away our personal weapons. We couldn't, we can't carry our personal guns anymore. Mm -hmm. And what, one of the things that I noticed is everybody seems to shoot better hmm. now than they did before. Some of the guys that were always having problems qualifying, you know, they carried some Smith & Wesson, you know, 9mm Smith & Wesson uh, or a SIG or one of the other well-known handguns uh, like in a, a 40. Beretta or, M9 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and they would always have problems qualifying. Hmm. Um, with the When we went to Glocks, I saw less guys having difficulties qualifying so I, i'm not sure if there's a correlation there or um if if maybe having their own gun was an excuse to say well you know hmm. this the, you know now now my gun doesn't shoot as your as well as your gun mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff now that we're all on the same page it made everybody rise up to the occasion i don't know well they then the other thing would be um you know, I think that would have been like a peer pressure thing. Yeah, I think probably um, there's a there's a big difference between um, different guns, um, the ergonomics of the handle, and I think that that probably the ergonomics of the handle, if they aren't done right, can can uh, can affect your shooting. Yes. Um, and I think that you know having handled and shot a Glock, I think that one one big advantage of that particular uh weapon is the uh the ergos of the handle mm -hmm. so i mean it's really good versus you know some of these other like the the ergos on my smith and wesson airweight are just terrible mm -hmm. you know but but it's that way because they're making a compromise um to keep the size and weight down you know whereas with right. a lock they just they just made the handle that they thought they should make so I don't know. Um, the the other gun that I, that I shoot very very well is the Beretta M9, mm -hmm. and I think the the handle on that is also um, very well done. Just mm -hmm. the whole the whole thing is. But you know, you talk to service members and they hated them. Yeah. So yeah. I I I don't understand. Of course, I never used it in any kind of a combat situation, so I wouldn't know. But you know. Well, the, I know the magazines can, you can bump the, the bottom of the gun and the magazines, uh, the bottom of the magazines fall off. Huh. And then all, and all your bullets go shooting all over the place. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know that I'd like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, people. That's a good hour of knife and gun content. We've answered all of your questions. <laughs> it's uh, been awesome to have you with us today. Uh, one thing I noticed online the other day is that we haven't had any new iTunes reviews since about September. Uh, the other thing I know is that we have thousands and thousands and thousands of 
listeners and only 32 reviews. So, you know, it'd be, be pretty cool, you know, if you're sitting around your computer, or your cell phone, don't have anything to do. Um, just uh, give us a nice review on iTunes. That'd be real nice. Um, you have anything else <laughs> knife-related to add? Um, is your video working? My, my video is not working. Um, Do, is, uh, am I? Can you see me? Uh, let me look here. No, I can't. Um, oh, that's weird. I wonder why. Huh. There, now I can. Oh, yeah, that's the yeah. mud bug, right? Yep. Can you see the patina? Yeah. Started? That's nice. I like that. Couple apples. <laughs> yep. I used it to kit to 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 uh, to cut up a couple apples. Yep. I'll Instagram the patina on that so people can see it. Yep. But that's it. Okay. I mean, I I uh I got nothing else. Okay, people. Knife related. Um. So uh, you've been warned. We are now going to uh, talk a little bit about the Ferguson thing, and uh, what we say may upset you. Um. If you're on either side of the argument, <laughs> you know, because uh, I don't think there's a way you can talk about this without pissing somebody off on some level, if that makes sense. So uh, it's been real nice having you. Um, if you keep listening and you get pissed, it's your own fault. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. No, I don't understand why, um, I mean, here's here's my stance on the whole thing. Uh, anybody that fucking broke a window yesterday should have been shot. <laughs> Absolutely shot. Um, my my take has been from the very beginning, I, I fault this, this guy's department for not sticking up with him. I fault this, this, the, the... Uh, people that were in charge saying, look, our officers don't shoot people just to kill people. That's the ridiculousness of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, you're acting like thugs. You're raising thugs. And if they, if they get shot trying to beat up a police officer, then that's their fault. Hmm. And it's your fault, mom and dad, as a parent... Because you didn't fucking teach your children to respect any kind of authority. They don't even respect themselves. You know, what the hell did that liquor store owner have to do with, with whether or not this kid got shot and, and you're pissed off? <laughs> yeah. You know? Did you listen to the explanation on the 52-inch TV that you fucking stole last time? No, you were standing out the street, and all you heard was, there's no indictment, and I'm pissed now. That's all you heard. That's all they heard. You know, they didn't hear any of the explanation. They didn't hear the fact that half the people that were fucking witnesses lied. You know? 98% of the freaking black kids get shot by other black people. 
Yeah. Not police officers. Since since, uh, since this Michael Brown guy was shot, there's probably been a good couple hundred black kids shot in uh, Chicago since 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 he was shot. <laughs> so yeah. like like why aren't you why aren't you pissed off about that? And they're you know? shot by other black people. <laughs> well, yeah, that's um, unfortunately. You know the the FBI crime statistics. I'll let people look those up for themselves. But uh, you know they're far, 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 far more likely to be shot by uh, another black kid than they are by a police officer. You know, and uh, I don't know. You know, <clears throat> you know. There was yesterday. There was also a uh, a black kid in uh, Cleveland that got shot by a police officer. He had a he had a airsoft gun that they knocked the orange thing off the end of it, mm -hmm. and he went after a police officer. Well, that's God, I wonder stupid. what he expected. Yeah. I wonder what he expected. I'm sure he was just turning his life around. Yeah, he was going to get a rap video and like turn his life around. <laughs> yeah, but ridiculous. Well, fucking ridiculous. You know, to me, belt-fed weapons. <laughs> Like M60. They should have fucking yeah, yeah, two forty. <laughs> yep, two forties. Well, um, the uh, I don't know. I I don't see how like burning down your own town like does anything. I'm telling you that if that if that had been my liquor store, I'd have had. Three shotguns, my wife would have been standing there loading fucking buckshot. And the first motherfucker that broke my window would have gotten a face full of buckshot. <laughs> and every motherfucker that tried to step through that glass would have got a, a face full of buckshot. Yeah, there would have been a stack of bodies, that's for sure. Yep, yep. And then the next thing you know, I, a I, Molotov cocktail comes through the window or goes yeah, up on your I got roof. no I got no time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> you know? Got no time. <laughs> Ain't got nobody no time got for time this. for this. <laughs> yeah. You know? So uh I mean you know, I, I have the uh I have an app for my phone and for my iPad where you can listen to police scanners. Mm-hmm. And uh I got it this morning. One of my Facebook friends told me about it. And I was listening to the uh, the uh, West St. Louis uh, police scanner, and also to the the highway patrol that's um, in charge of responding to this. And it was like seven in the morning, so it was pretty quiet. But then, as the sun came up, uh, it they started with shenanigans again. And uh, there's so many fires now. And I heard this straight off of the p police scanner this morning. So if you say that. I'm lying. Um, please go find a stick and shove it up your fucking ass because I heard it with my own ears on the police scanner. There are so many fires that the fire department won't respond uh, unless there are flames coming out of the roof. So if it's just a your garden variety fire, they're not going to respond to it. Um, and that that was specifically sent out over the radio. Don't report fires unless you see. Uh, flames coming out of the roof. And then the other thing that was going on was uh, if you own a business there, 
you have to go to the central staging area and be like escorted to the business if you want to go in there and like you know see what the damages are or, you know whatever it is you want to do you have to be escorted there by the police you can't how, just go how, there uh, how far is that from you uh i'm i'm a long ways i'm probably seven hours from there drive oh, okay yeah yeah hmm. but it's well we i'm 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 happy to say that we had none of that shit in our town of Pelston. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine you would. <laughs> our downtown Pelston is totally intact. There wasn't one. There wasn't one fucking protester. <laughs> I don't think there would be. <laughs> you know what kind of got me about the whole thing was they waited. They they said that we're going to announce this at nine o'clock. So we're going to give all of these guys enough time to gather up in the in the streets. <laughs> yeah, they should have freaking announced it on like Sunday morning at like eight, seven o'clock. Or I would have I would have announced it last week during the snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, right in the middle of the blizzard. Yeah, then then you know there's not going to be any uh, shenanigans. You know? <laughs> that's that's why, or, or just waited until it was like twenty below out. Fucking freezing rain. Right. Or, or here, well, I would make freezing rain. I would make it rain on those bitches. Here's what I would do. Uh, I would wait until it was a good 20 below. And then uh, they get out. They start, they get, you know, their coats and all this. And they go out with mittens and whatnot. And they start throwing some bricks. Guess what I do? Fire hose them. Ah, I deploy the water cannons. Do you want to mail, build a snowman? Do you want to build a snowman? I do. <laughs> they could have put they could have put uh, nozzles on all the fire hydrants and just fucking opened them up. Just let, yeah, let them squirt just turn the, the turn the place into a winter wonderland. <laughs> you know, that's what I would have done. But I don't know. Then then you know then the problem is is like if I'd done that, then they would have you know said it was brutal or something. You know? You're a racist. Yeah. You racist bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you racist bastard. That's all I have to say. Yeah, because you know, because I don't want my business burnt down. I'm racist. You're racist. <laughs> That's all I know. Yeah. So we're in day one of the nonsense from that. It's going to get worse tonight. Uh, so download your police scanner app and uh, listen away. Uh, because you're going to hear stuff on there that you would never hear on the news. They they cannot report this stuff. If they report it, it makes the protesters look bad. You know, <laughs> if they reported that, uh, you know, we can't be bothered to put out any fires or even respond to it. Don't even fucking report it unless you see flames coming out of the roof. If you see flames coming out of the roof, it's over. Like, that building is done. You know, so at that point, all they're doing is they're spraying down the other uh, how, the other places near it, so they don't burn down. Yeah. So Al, so Al Shithead yesterday says uh, he he's like, well, he says there is no justice for Michael Brown. Hmm. We still will get justice for. We're going to continue to fight. We'll still get justice for Michael Brown. Hmm. The fuck is he think? Somebody needs to double tap his head. <laughs> fucking his greasy ass fucking head. The 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 don't don't say that you don't just love the uh, perpetrator of the Tawana Brawley hoax. <laughs> <laughs> for for people that don't know, um, you can. I liked him better when he was fat. 
<laughs> yeah, she, she was much better. Tuan, uh, how do you even fucking spell that crazy name? Okay, so for people uh, that, that don't know who Al Sharpton is or don't know any of his history, the first thing you should do is look for the New York Times article of last week um, where he owes approximately $4.5 million in taxes, okay? Um, he doesn't pay his taxes, uh, and somehow he's walking around free, which I don't understand, okay? His claim to fame uh, is probably the thing he's most famous for, is in about 1987 and 88, there was this lady named Tawana Brawley, and you can Google that shit, T-A-W-A-N-A Brawley, B-R-A-W-L-E-Y. And basically she made up all of this stuff about she was raped by these five guys. And basically Al Sharpton uh, whipped that up into a big, huge, uh, big, huge um, muckety-muck. And uh, it, it all ended up being a hoax. And he... He, like, totally accused the prosecutor, uh, Pagonas, of, like, being one of the rapists and all of this. And he eventually got sued by this guy for 345000 And, uh, actually, he, the guy won the judgment against him, and Al Sharpton never paid it. And then somebody paid it off for him in, like, 2000 So he never paid the guy a penny. And, uh, this Tawana Brawley... Basically, it's the Duke Lacrosse case, only an earlier version of it. They just made up a bunch of shit and then used uh, the media to, you know, the, these mythical racist white people that are running around doing this stuff. Like, like somehow we're in like 1920s, uh, you know, deep south. <laughs> and by the way, the KKK and all of that, those were Democrats. You want to know who voted against the civil rights bill? It was Democrats, okay? So, you know, somehow we're supposed to live in this pretend world where people are running around doing all this stuff. And that's what Al Sharpton does. That's how he makes his living. Um, <clears throat> the other things he's done is, like, he's gotten actual, actually gotten people killed um, by... Uh, his big quote is, like, Jaime Town, descri describing, you know, New York Jews and all this. You know, he uses, uses language that if we used it, we would we would be drummed out of life. You know, like, if you use language like that, nobody takes you seriously, unless you're like Al Sharpton. <laughs> you know, and so one of his hoaxes was, uh, it actually got somebody killed, and you, you can Google that as well. Um, but Google that shit. I don't know. It's just a, the guy's a big scumbag, and he makes his money off of pitting people against each other and off of this mythical you know, racist white culture that might have existed directly after the Civil War, but it was Democrats in the South that were like that. Right. You know, it's it's just it's just foolishness. So that's why Jim and I really do not have much time for Al Sharpton. <laughs> well, he's a he's an amazing piece of work, yeah. and it's a and and he's one of the president's top advisors. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so who that's who your yeah that's who your president like respects, and yeah, uh, draw, draws to. on for uh, you know advice and things like that. The, the perpetrator of the Tawana Brawley hoax. <laughs> that's who that's who you're listening to. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you wonder why Ferguson happens. 
Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's you know, you got a group of people that are totally low information. You know, they they uh like I said, they must not have cable to hook up that fifty two inch TV they stole last time. Yeah. Well the the thing is is it's you know, they 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 probably hear and they probably know. They're just walking around with a chip on their shoulder looking for a reason to be pissed off. So you could have video evidence of, of the kid like... And here's another thing I'm going to get into. I, remind me that I said the word kid describing him. Yeah. Um, you could have video evidence of that young man uh, with an axe trying to kill the police officer and the police officer shooting him. And it, it wouldn't matter because they're looking for a reason to loot and be pissed off, you know, and, and that's the point. Now, here's the other thing I want to get to. I think this is this is a societal problem, which is getting worse. Uh, and it le I think it, it leads to a lot of monkey business, for lack of a better word. If you are 18 years old, you are not a kid. Okay, I don't want. I don't ever want to hear somebody making excuses for criminal behavior or bad behavior or rude behavior for someone who is 18 years old or older. Okay, you you might you might be a young adult, but you are still an adult. Okay, when I was 18, I was not allowed to do any of this crap. You know, I. And I'm sick of all these, you know, I've heard them say, well, he's only 28. That's, he's so young. No, he's not. When I was 28, I was a, I was a surgeon. You know, I was dealing with life and death situations on a daily basis. You know, it's like, you, 18 is the cutoff, people. You, you, if you're 17 and 362 days, you're a kid. If you're 18 and, and one second, you're an adult. And, I'm sick of it. You know, you have you have your your childhood and then it's over. Then you're accountable. You don't get do-overs after that. Never I, ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Never ceases to amaze me. And the other thing that I'm pissed off about with both this and the Trayvon Martin case is they show pictures of these guys from like eight years ago. They don't right. show the modern day six foot four, three hundred pound guy uh they show like the the twelve year old you know picture where they they still kind of look you know like a kid right it's i don't know this guy was big this guy was huge yeah and and here's the other thing i the other thing I'm sick of is people saying unarmed okay unarmed you had two arms right un <laughs> unarmed I could probably kill ninety percent of the people walking around out there because of training in uh, wrestling, martial arts, and experience in those areas, okay? I could probably kill 90% of the people walking around on the street, unarmed, with no weapons, okay? Especially if I'm on pavement, you know? You bash somebody's head into the pavement, it's over. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you bash their head against a hard object uh, hard enough a couple times, they're done, you know? And there's this whole thing where, you know... Oh, you know, he was just getting beat down, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. You don't, you, you know how it would end now. You, you, at, during the time when it's your ass getting kicked, you don't know how it's going to end. 
Right. You know, you don't you don't know that the person is going to stop. You you're not inside their head. And so you have to treat that as, you know, my head is getting bashed into here or this guy's reaching in my car and trying to get a gun out of my hands like this guy wants to kill me. You know, his intent is pretty freaking clear. Um I'm going to deal with it on that level. You know, that's the other thing that just drives you know, me crazy about this. Have you ever you know, I'm I'm <laughs> This is kind of off topic a little bit, but I would like to know, have you ever seen the, the autopsy, I'm, I'm sure you have, seen the autopsy drawings where they where they uh, have a body and yeah. they show where bullet holes or wounds are? Yeah. Why isn't that, why don't they have a black, a drawing of a black man? Why is that a drawing of a white man? <laughs> because they're that's, racist. That's, that's racist, isn't it? <laughs> no, I don't know. I I think because uh Okay, I'm going to answer <laughs> You're discombobulating me. Okay, I'm going to answer the question as if you were asking it seriously. Okay? Um it's easier to mark on white paper than it is on black paper. <laughs> without a special pen. Okay, there. That's funny. So You discombobulated me. Now now I'm all fucked up. <laughs> Well, all I know is um, it'd be kind of curious to see the, the Justice Department is doing their own investigation. Mm -hmm. Be interesting to see if, what they come up with. If it's a different, if it's different than uh, than what um, than what the uh, grand jury says. Well, the the, the I, in order to have standing, don't isn't and I'm probably using the wrong term here. Um, but in order to be able to do something about it, wouldn't there have to be a like a civil rights violation or something? I mean, I don't think they can go, the Justice Department can go after somebody for anything for that's, yeah, for anything that's not a, yeah. Well, they could easily say it was a racist, uh, you know, but they'd have anything to, is racist, dude. Yeah, I mean, I they, mean, they can say it's, that violates, uh, that violates the civil rights. Because he has a civil right to beat down a police officer. Yeah. Yeah, because we, you know, we, and here's the other thing that drives me fucking crazy. Okay. Having one set of standards uh, of behavior for one group of people and another set of standards of behavior for another group of people. And the only difference between them is skin color. Yeah. You know, that's, that's every bit as racist as, as uh, Democrats from the South are. Or when is the last time you saw any kind of behavior like this from a white person? Oh, they do it. When was the last fucking time you saw a city burned by white people? Uh, Democrat convention. It'd be late 60s. Late 60s stuff like that happened. So were the white people inciting it or were the white people just part of it? Uh... I think they were inciting it. Actually, the... You're talking about outside the Democratic Convention. I, I wasn't there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I know that there have been, especially during the 60s, um, there was a lot of mischief-making going on um, that, that white people were most definitely responsible for. Um, there were so many bombings and bomb threats and things like that during um, the early years of uh, 
Nixon's administration that like it it drove him nuts. You well, know? that was all of the that was uh, that was the um, they were leftists. You know that was the uh, people that that uh, mentored our president. Yeah, with um, Weather Underground, Bill Ayers, people like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I mean, but they but I'm talking about I'm talking about riots like you saw last night and in August. Well, um, here here would be. A I mean, I mean, of, you can go you can go on and on. You can go. Uh, you can just Trayvon Martin riots. You can go um, uh, the the riots in Ferguson. You can go the riots when OJ was uh, was arrested. You can go when uh, what's his guy? Uh, what, LA what, riots. The LA yeah. riots from you know you can go all the way back to 1968 and the Detroit riots. Okay, can they, I, they, these were not white people doing this. This can is I, a freaking. Can I offer an explanation for that that is not race based? What's that? Okay, um, the other thing that happened coincidentally during that time was um, white people moved out of cities and into suburbs, and by and large, if you go to an actual city, most of the occupants are going to be um, ethnic minorities, and I think. Okay. Of, wait, okay. wait, wait, wait. When was the finish. last time you finish. saw fucking Koreans do this? Let me finish. <laughs> when was the last time you saw Vietnamese do this? Be well, if they tried it in their country, they'd get killed. Well, um, no, Vietnamese in like the cities that that are there's not that enough are of them. A concentration of Vietnamese well, or Koreans well, or Chinese. Well, here's the thing. I number one, I don't think there's enough of them. Um, I think that in order to get and I, I'm talking out of my ass. I'm trying to offer an explanation that is not race-based. What was the last time you saw a group of Mexicans riot like this? Can I finish? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to make an explanation here that is not race-based, okay? I, looking at this without looking at skin color, um, the only... Even if, even if up, up by you, even if everybody up by you was black... You guys live so far apart, and there's just not enough of you that you would never, it would never get to this level because you're never going to form a, a crowd big enough to have that kind of mob violence mentality, you know. And by and large, like you, you don't see concentrations of other um, ethnic groups like you do um, blacks in the United States in inner cities. You know, I you could make the argument, well, there's Chinatown, and you could make the argument, yeah, well, there's Little Italy, but you know, by and large, those are a lot smaller groups of people, um, and uh, I don't know, I'm I'm trying to trying to make this case without there being any any kind of race involved, and I'm kind of failing, <laughs> but uh, okay, so. Uh, so we had 1933, we had, I'm sure that this was, a. uh, this was probably a, mm, this was a riot, I suppose, that was, uh, <clears throat> the Christie Pitts riots occurred in 16 August, 1933 at the Christie Pitts Playground in Toronto, Canada. Canada. The riot can only yeah, <laughs> Canadians riot. <clears throat> the 
The riots can only be understood in the context of anti-Semitism, swastika clubs and parades of and resentment of foreigners in Toronto and the rise of Hitler and the Nazis in Germany in 1933. The riot, which lasted six hours, broke out after a final after a quarterfinal baseball game at Christie Pitts between two local clubs, Harbor Playground predominantly Jewish and St. Peter's baseball, so it was a, it was a re religious thing. Um, St. Peter's, a baseball team sponsored by a church, and at Bathurst and Bloor. The riot occurred in the midst of the Great Depression, and six months after Adolf Hitler took power in Germany, the Toronto papers, including the Telegram and Toronto Star, as well as the Yiddish Journal, <clears throat> reported how on how the Jews were being dismissed as lawyers, professors, and teachers, etc., in Germany, as well as the incidents of violence against them. Thus, the Jews... The swastika represented the degradation of, and physical violence against the Jews and was inflammatory. At that time, the Jewish community in the Toronto was predominantly poor and working class, so they were angry Jews and they rioted at a, at a baseball game. No one was killed in the riot, uh, and the, there was criticism of the police for not being ready to intervene. So even in 1933, it was the police, the police's fault. Well, but... <laughs> They're not even. They're not even talking about burning or what anything that they did. So they must have been fighting with somebody. Okay, so yeah. I, yeah, I, but I don't see. I see some pictures and I don't see any flames. So I googled um, white people riot history, <laughs> and, and uh, so I, I I got a link to Wikipedia mass racial violence in the United States, um, and this kind of makes the point that I was. I think if if you look at the history here, so in the you know there was a bunch in the. 1800s um, against Irish and Catholics. And but then, they were fighting with each other. There were two groups of people fighting in the streets. Yeah, but then um, the, you get into the uh, into the 20th century. So in 1917, um, East St. Louis, a bunch of white people beat, beat the shit out of uh, and killed about 100 black people. Um, and then... In Chicago, you had it uh, in 1921. Um, they burned down a bunch of buildings, but again, um, you're talking you're talking early 20th century. Uh, and then what what happens about like 1940, 1950? Um, why is it that white people riot stop right around then? And I think. I think the reason they stop right around then isn't because they're better behaved or better people. Um, I think it's because the white people all moved out of the cities and the black people all moved in. And you have, anytime you have a big group of concentrated people, um, you can form a mob and the mob can turn violent. I mean, that would be, I don't know, that's a theory. I haven't ever heard anyone else <laughs> say that. The Denver, but like maybe. <clears throat> the Denver riot of 1887 is one of the largest civil disturbances in the city's history. Uh -huh. Fighting between Swedish, Hungarian, and Polish immigrants, resulting in the shooting death of one man and injuring several others before broken up by police. Mm-hmm. Well, at any rate, I, I think that I think that you could explain uh, a lot of that uh, based on uh, the demographics of where people live and stuff. And I think it probably has less to do with, I mean, I think if you had a big, huge 
inner city population of poor white people and <laughs> they do the exact same thing well i guess the i guess the last time you heard about white people rioting was the pumpkin the great pumpkin riot what's that um that was the recent one uh, at a college university i don't remember it was a pumpkin fest hmm. MP pumpkin fest well and then there's pussy riot from uh russia that rock band yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the Pumpkin Fest riot of 1914. That was a college. It was a college that has a New Hampshire Pumpkin Fest. The crowd turns unruly. Well, and it, <laughs> again, and they're not like Ferguson because they they weren't black people. Well, college kids do it a lot, though. Um, for instance, uh, just last year in Iowa. There was riots burning and all that shit at uh, Visha, which is Iowa yeah. State. And it's because you have concentrations and big crowds of people. I, I think it has more to do with that than it has to do with uh, the crowd mentality. The okay, yeah. so I stand corrected. So white people do riot. Yeah. I'm trying to well, dig us out of a hole here. <laughs> we, just, we just riot for something different, I guess. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Yeah. Pumpkins and frats and... In football games. Yeah, don't you dare fucking run out of pumpkins at the pumpkin dispensary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you better fucking serve the pumpkins all day long. You better not have like a breakfast pumpkin menu and... <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing that people get pissed about is like at McDonald's when they have... Uh, oh they my stop. god, the 1030 switch! Yeah. <laughs> I saw this lady like tear apart a restaurant, throw chairs and everything the other day on YouTube. It was awesome. That's funny. Um, okay, so do you have pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving? Hell yeah. Oh yeah, baby. I love pumpkin pie. It's about my favorite. I'm a pumpkin pie fanatic. Mm -hmm. I like pumpkin seeds too, you know, and we didn't even carve a damn pumpkin this year. Hmm. So I didn't even have any pumpkin seeds. Yeah, they're good. You can spice them up. Yep. Dry yep. them and gobble them up. Anyway... I think we've uh, sufficiently angered the, the audience one way or the, the other. Masses, the masses. The um, masses. People will be laughing because it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty crazy, but like... I, I can't imagine I, Jewish people rioting. Can you? I, I just don't think they have big enough, uh, big enough concentrations of people. I well, can imagine anybody Six million rioting. of them. I mean, Hitler had that... I mean, he went up against six million of them and they didn't riot. I don't know the history well enough to talk about it. <laughs> but the, the other thing is, is that um, it's not just that we have big concentrations of people, but thanks to the uh, housing projects, another Democrat idea that went up in about the 1960s, you have uh, concentrations of poverty that isn't just one generation. It's now they're up to like six generations of people who've lived in those projects, been poor their whole life, never been gainfully employed, and know nothing else. You know, so you have big, huge concentrations. And and you should see the Robert Taylor homes in Chicago. It's not like there's like two buildings. It's like 30 blocks of buildings that are all housing projects and big, tall high-rises with um, big, huge concentrations of, of poor people. Do they work? Fuck no. They don't work at all. Most of them don't. I mean, I'm sure you can find examples. But uh, little little known fact about me. 
uh, my first address. Uh, so I was I was actually born into a Chicago housing project, <laughs> and that is a fact. <laughs> That's fact. That reminds me. That reminds me of um, the Steve Martin movie. Yeah, I was born. A I poor was black born boy. a poor black child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. That's like that's like one of the funniest lines. I'll never forget that how funny that was. Yeah. But that was that was in the seventies and and we were in a housing project but we were upwardly mobile. You know, that that was the whole idea was you would go in there Well, you know the only reason you were upwardly mobile because you were white. No. And that's what they're bitching about. Yeah, because I we had unfair advantages, I suppose. Yeah. Somebody just yeah. handed us everything. Yeah. Yeah, white privilege. Because yeah. you're white skin. Your white skin. Yep, white privilege. Yep. You know, it's a, it's interesting to see how many black people are pissed off about about what's going on. There that that are up, you know, that that understand that they are upwardly mobile too. <laughs> yeah, they. I I don't think it. I honestly, I don't think it's a skin color thing. I think it's more of a a uh, socioeconomic thing. Where you well, it's stand interesting. on the it's socioeconomic interesting when you, uh, scale. It's interesting. When you hear black people cacking on other black people saying that they're not black enough. Yeah, that happens a lot. You know, uh, Condoleezza Rice <laughs> was so classic when she said, Hey, you don't have to tell me how to be black. I've been black my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how perfect is that? Well, you I know, guys like, guys like uh, 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 Herman Cain, you know, that are standing there going, What the fuck? <laughs> Well, again, that's uh, it can be because he acted because he acted like a white person. He became successful. Jeez, ah, amazing, boy. amazing to me. Trouble. Well, well anyway, no, you I know gotta what? Gotta that's what on. they're saying. That's what the black leaders are saying about Herman Cain. He he acted like a white guy, and that's how he became successful. Yeah, so how dare well, Wouldn't you? that be a fucking inter inspiration? Yeah, wouldn't you want to do the same thing? <laughs> yeah. I'll bet you a dollar to a dirty donut that if I acted like a fucking thug, I would end up in the same place as those guys in Ferguson are. I would act the same. If I acted like a thug, I would end up just like Michael Brown. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you a dollar. Yeah, I could, if, I if could you pull made... that off very simple. <laughs> but you know what? It's a fucking choice. Yeah. I choose not to act like a freaking thug and wear my pants at my the crack of my ass and my hat on sideways. Well, and then it, it, it's not even the it's not so much that. I think it's more um you know, attacking police officers and shit. Uh, it, you know, it's a wonder it's a wonder any of them get killed, get shot and killed because they can't shoot. I mean, they hold a gun sideways and shoot like like over your head and shit. Well, I think there's a lot of uh, showmanship that goes into it, and when they shoot at somebody, they're not necessarily trying to hit them. <laughs> you know, they're more trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I've got to go uh, get gainfully employed here. Yeah, me too. Do you have anything me else too. to add? Uh, well, I don't know how if can I, people uh, find if us? you saw this. I mentioned I, I lost my we lost our dog yesterday. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that yeah, my sucks. Macy, my little red bone. Yeah, pretty sad. Yeah. We, uh, um, I hate that. Eight years old, nothing, nothing physically looked wrong with her at all. Yeah, and she had cancer. Jeez, yeah, it was pretty bad. That sucks. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it's 
terrible. Yep, yep. Um, my grandkids are here, so I'm all happy about that. Awesome. Yep. And uh, with that being said, Facebook. You can like us on Facebook. Right. Find us on uh, in the web on the web uh, on the interwebs at uh, knifejournal.com. We have a nice forum there. Um, send us emails at uh, podcast at knifejournal.com. Follow us on Twitter. Um, Instagram is probably better, right? Instagram yeah. and Instagram. Yeah. Um, I've started. I've started doing. Um, I started sharing my Instagram photos on my Twitter feed too. Okay. Which is, uh, uh, I think James Noka. What's my What's my uh, Instagram? James Noka, something like that. Anyway, yeah, James underscore Noka. Yep. So, and I just actually just posted a picture of my uh, my mud bug with uh, some patina, growing patina. Nice. So, with that. Um, I guess we're ready, huh? Yeah, I got to go. I got to go operate. Okay. Keep your knife sharp, your friend sharper. Stay out of trouble. I will try. Keep your powder dry. Yeah, and stay out of riots. <laughs> yep. Yeah, don't be rioting. Yeah, I'll try not to. <laughs>